You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prey. Eric Scopel is with me as always, and... Today is Wednesday. Typically, it is a mailbag Wednesday. You dictate the show. You decide where things are going. And we're going to do that. But first, before we dive into the mailbag, we've got some questions. We've had to cut some questions because literally seconds before we press record on the podcast, some breaking news hit. And we're going to have to discuss that right away. That starts with a report that has been placed out uh, by Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports that is reporting that Anthony Brown, the starting quarterback at Boston College for basically the last three years, will finish his career at Oregon as a graduate transfer quarterback. Now, there's a whole lot to unpack here, Eric, with this because what does this say about Tyler Shuck? What is Anthony Brown a guy that's that's now the odds-on favorite to win the job. He's also uh, a guy that that's a little bit different in terms of uh, skill set than Tyler Shuck. Um, he also has injury history that Tyler Shuck does not have. Uh, I, I think there's a ton to impact uh, on this decision uh, and this report by Pete Thamel. And I'm looking. I think you and I both had the same reaction when we saw this come across. Was Whoa, because he came to Oregon for an unofficial visit in sp- during spring football, but that went and, and that came and gone, and nothing really happened. And I think you and I kind of just out of sight, out of mind, because oh, maybe Oregon just didn't like what they saw, and, and now they've obviously seen enough, and he's he's coming to Oregon. Yeah, I can uh, I can say I don't think I know we had the same reaction because when Kevin Wade, our colleague, posted in our Slack channel that Brown was choosing Oregon, our both of our response was "Wow!" <laughs> like back to back, instantaneous. And you're right, it is, and it's in part because uh, there hasn't been like actually that much real football news in terms of players moving around. This is really significant, um, and you're right. I think something we've talked about. For a while, I think even back to maybe a little bit before the Rose Bowl, the rumors were starting, or maybe it was out around down in Los Angeles when the, the first reports came out that he was leaving Boston College and Oregon was going to be one of uh, the possibilities, or maybe the favorite, I think, was the verbiage back then. It was the hot story, and then it kind of got all the way through spring. You know, It kind of felt like it was something that was maybe behind us, and then we, of course, knew that he'd taken a visit, and then here we are today, um, the start of April learning that Oregon has added a new quarterback. And you know, I think my first thought was the same one that you brought up there, is what does this say about the 2020 football season and Tyler Shuck? Um, again, we were pretty impressed with what we saw in limited opportunity this year with Shuck in the spring and even last fall. Um, I thought he played really well when he got into games. I think down in USC he led a couple of touchdown drives. I know he had a touchdown pass to Micah Pittman down there. But this is certainly going to add a wrinkle to it. And it felt pretty clear based on what we saw in spring, that Chuck was the better quarterback than a Kale Millen or a Jay Butterfield, at least at that point in the year. But you bring in a guy like Anthony Brown, and you're certainly saying, hey, we want to have a quarterback competition. We want to challenge Tyler Chuck, and we want to get the best quarterback out there. Um, and maybe Anthony Brown is that player. Uh, it's certainly a, a – I like it. I think in terms of you want to stay aggressive and, and bring in the best players. You don't want to get them to get complacent. 
could also be a, an easy time to get complacent with, with this whole virus and everyone kind of staying inside. I think if you're Tyler Shuck, you're probably just maybe he's lighting a fire under your butt of, hey, I got to get to work and get going. Um, certainly will be whenever uh, we do start fall practice. Certainly will be a, a new storyline and probably the lead storyline is who's the quarterback. And that was something I think as we exited spring, we both felt like, hey, Tyler Shuck's the guy. Yeah, I, I still think Tyler Shuck is going to be the favorite to win the quarterback job because you look at Anthony Brown and he is a three-year starter at Boston College. Yes, he started his freshman year as a true freshman, sophomore year, junior, and uh, and and over that three-year period though, he suffered two different injuries. He he. His, his season as a freshman was cut short, uh, a couple weeks left in the year in the game against NC State when he suffered an injury. And then his past season, uh, in 2019, he played about half the season because of an injury suffered at Louisville in a game in which he was on fire at, at the time. Six of seven, 193 yards, one touchdown, and, and, and he had a good junior year of 1200 yards passing and nine touchdowns and two interceptions. Uh, over six games, but I, I look at his overall stats and I, and I, I look at it and think good quarterback. Don't necessarily think he's going to be an elite quarterback. Uh, I don't think you can necessarily describe him as an elite quarterback. I mean, 51% completion percentage as a freshman, 55 as a, as a sophomore. He did see a big jump as a junior to 59%. Uh, his average yards per attempt were also up career highs of 9.1. So maybe he was making that jump as a, a junior during the 2019 season. But I look at Oregon and say, this is a guy like what you said. He's going to push Tyler Shuck for that starting job. He's not going to allow Tyler Shuck to go into the offseason and to go into fall camp thinking, I have this job wrapped up. And if Tyler Shuck happens to, to get beaten out, by Anthony Brown, I, I think that speaks volumes of how much growth we've seen in Anthony Brown because I'm I'm speaking for you and I. We're both big believers in Tyler Shuck. We're, we're all in on him being the starting quarterback. And I think if someone comes in and beats him to be the Oregon's next QB1 to replace Justin Herbert, I think that's going to tell you how good that, that new guy is because there's a lot of optimism around Tyler Shuck within the program, and there has been – for a very long time. Yeah, and if you look a little closer at the numbers with Brown, I've got them pulled up. The, the completion percentage was better this last year, but you look at the schedule and the caliber of opponent he played. He had three of his nine touchdowns against Richmond, who is an FCS school. Uh, his two best games probably came against Wake Forest and Louisville, and the Louisville game he only played, it looks like, part of the game. It was six for seven. But I, I kind of look at the Kansas game and the Rutgers games, uh, against Kansas, he was 18 for 36 for 195 yards and a touchdown. It's not particularly impressive. And against Boston College, he was 13 for 13 for 25 for 159 yards and no touchdowns. Again, not that impressive. Um, part of me also thinks, and this is kind of the ongoing discussion with the quarterback position, is you know Joe Moorhead's been pretty upfront about the fact that he does want to utilize his quarterback's legs more. Maybe he feels like Brown can be a quarterback uh, to you know to accomplish that, and whether that is as the primary, you know, three downs every, you know, he's on the field every down quarterback or as some sort of secondary option where they bring him in 
uh, and let him utilize his legs. I know Moorhead has been complimentary in the past of Tyler Shuck. I asked him about that the one time we did speak with him this spring, and he said Shuck has, I think he said he's more quick than he is fast, but he's certainly capable of, of doing what they need from a quarterback in terms of running the football. Maybe they look at Brown as somebody who can uh, be even better in that regard uh, as a runner, and if that's the case, maybe that's going to give him a leg up on Shuck uh, for this job. But I just think you look at the passing stats, and again, we haven't seen Tyler Shuck be a full-time starting quarterback, which Anthony Brown has been at Boston College. But what we've seen from Shuck is somebody who is very effective and efficient throwing the football. Um, you know, his completion percentage in last season, of course, it's a very good small sample size. He hardly had any incompletions all season, whereas we're running through what Brown has done. Um, obviously, uh, he's not quite as efficient of a passer. So um, I think a lot of this is going to come down to what's the best fit in Joe Moorhead's offense. But I will say I think you have to be – somewhat excited or encouraged by the fact that it's not just Tyler Shuck's job and it's over. Now you go into fall camp and this will be something we can kind of pick apart is how does this battle between Shuck and Brown play out? And it gives us certainly, again, I think it provides Shuck the opportunity to go out and prove himself. But you also think, and maybe we should talk about this for a second, if you're Brown and you're betting on yourself and you transfer to Oregon and you don't get the job, how is he going to handle that? Because this is his last year of eligibility. and He's kind of bet on himself that, hey, I'm going to go to Oregon. I'm going to be the starting quarterback there. Well, if he gets through August and they end up going with Tyler Shuck, is Brown going to be somebody who wants to stay around? And if he is going to stay around, is he going to be in the right mindset to, to be kind of that backup quarterback or, like I said, kind of hypothesized earlier, possibly some sort of, uh, you know, wildcat quarterback kind of situation? One other area to, to look at is there's a lot that goes into this commitment for Oregon, too, why they would want this, because – Let's look at who's behind Tyler Shuck. Cale Millen is a redshirt freshman, and he missed a majority of his true freshman season because of an injury. So while he wasn't playing, he wasn't even practicing for a majority of the year because of the injury, or or at least half of the season. I know during bull prep he he started coming back and, and was you know going through the drills and whatnot, but. He basically lost about half a year, maybe a little bit more than that, of, of practice time. And then you have two true freshmen. You have Jay Butterfield, who showed up during spring football, but only got four practices in before COVID-19 hit and practice was shut down and, and then everything else you know about. Uh, and, and Robbie Ashford, another four-star quarterback, he's a true freshman. He's not here at Oregon yet, and he's also a top baseball prospect. And there is a legitimate chance that Robbie Ashford gets selected high enough in the MLB draft, or there was before they made their their decisions of changing the, the structure of that draft, of Robbie Ashford getting picked and you know getting picked in a slot that makes a lot of money that doesn't make sense for him to come try college football right away. Now his his plan was to play both, but you know, there's a lot of moving parts with that, with the MLB factor. So I think this is, this protects you a little bit, especially like what you said, Joe, Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator saying they want to run the quarterback a little bit more. When you run the quarterback, there's more opportunities for the quarterback to get hurt. And if Shuck did win the job or if Anthony Brown wins the job and he gets hurt again, you at least have a viable backup candidate that you feel very strongly about waiting in the wings in case that happens. Yeah, And I think that has to be part of this is 
you need some contingency plans in case something wrong happens with your other quarterbacks. And the reality is, in this day and age with football, you'd hate for it to be a situation where, and I'm knocking on wood furiously here, but for whatever reason, if Shuck is your quarterback, if he's hurt for a significant period of time, you could you know, basically derail an entire season by having to turn to a Kale Millen or a Jay Butterfield or a Robbie Ashford before one of them is ready. And not to run too, you know, down the negativity here, but I think Oregon fans saw what happened a couple of years ago when Justin Herbert goes down and you have to turn to Braxton Burmeister. And this is kind of that insurance here of at least now you're going to have two competent, you know, high caliber quarterbacks who will have, I know Chuck doesn't have too much experience, but some experience at this level, whereas you would have run the risk without adding a quarterback, and we talked about this before, of having the primary backups, all of them on the roster, be quarterbacks who've literally never taken a snap in a college game. And that's not something you really want to run into, I don't think. All right, real quick. Does – if how would you – how would you put – describe the quarterback battle now? With Anthony Brown on the roster, Tyler Shuck coming back, and then three freshmen on the roster. Is it now a two-man race, or do you really think Tyler Shuck is you know, definitively going to be still the guy? I think we have to assume it's it's going to be a two-man race for the time being, at least until we see a little bit of how Brown looks and how Shuck look next to each other, because the reality is, is you don't bring in a grad transfer who has three years of starting experience uh, and who, again, like I said earlier, who knows this is his last shot at college football. You don't do that. Uh, with the expectation that he's not going to have a chance to start or that he's not at least going to be in the conversation. So I think you have to fully uh, expect this to be a Brown-Shuck battle. Uh, and I still think maybe a Butterfield or an Ashford, if they have really good off seasons and come in ready, I don't expect the one of them to start, but maybe one of them can push whoever doesn't win that job to be the backup. But, again, I think the big the big benefit here is, is you now have time to potentially build out some of those reserve guys. A, a Butterfield, who clearly needs to add some weight, won't be brought in expecting to be uh, playing right away. And the same thing can be said about a Kale Millen, who's coming off an Ashford, who, like you said, there's a chance he might end up looking at the baseball route. So I, I think this is, this makes a lot of sense in terms of protecting your roster, ensuring that uh, you know that you don't run into a spot where you have a true freshman starting games for you at the midpoint of the season. Uh, and again, I think we have to proceed like this is a two-man quarterback battle, although I'm still giving Shuck the edge just because of everything we've seen and kind of the history he has with this team. I think he's in, still remains in good position. I think he's the 1A and Brown's probably the 1B, but I think you do have to proceed like it's a uh, it's an actual quarterback battle, which probably wasn't the, the way we felt earlier. I agree with you. Two-man battle between Anthony Brown, Tyler Shuck. I think Shuck is still the odds-on favorite to win the job, but I think this basically ensures that Oregon will be able to and be and can afford to redshirt both Jay Butterfield and Robbie Ashford for the 2020 football season because I think going in, it's unfair because it's not his fault. It's no one's fault to ever get hurt, but... When Kale Millen suffered his injury last year, that really created a, a cloud of uncertainty behind Shuck for 2020. And now you at least have someone that, that, that can be your viable backup and will push Kale Millen as well. Because, and, and on top of that, you don't have to go in thinking, wow, if Shuck goes down, our only options are three freshmen, 
two of which have never played a down of football going into this season. And the third is a redshirt freshman who missed half the year because of injury. I think that's the, that's the, that's right there is the benefit of this. That's the silver lining. That's the positive is that now Oregon can look at this and say, our two freshmen are going to redshirt and we will try and get them playing time. And Kale Millen will not have to be thrust into a role he's not really prepared for yet if he's not. And we have two viable candidates to, to duke it out for the quarterback spot. I think Oregon's quarterback room now has significantly changed and has gone for the better from a depth perspective. We can argue who's going to win for months on end. We've got plenty of months to, to get through that. Uh, but uh, the, the room itself has gotten better now with the addition of Anthony Brown. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll open up the mailbag uh, for what's originally supposed to be a mailbag Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Pramer, Scopel with me as always. Now let's dive into the Wednesday regular scheduled programming of a mailbag. We've we've cut some questions. We apologize for that, and we'll say maybe a couple for for maybe next week if we need to. Um, but Eric, let, let's let's dive into these. Yeah, as Matt said, we had quite a few to pick from. We've we had quite a few that we'd picked that aren't going to make it. So if you feel like you had a good question that didn't get answered, feel free to send it again. Um, we will monitor and keep track of the ones that we liked from this last week that we want to use for next week. But, again, keep sending us questions. We've got some good ones here. And keep using the hashtag because three out of the four we're reading here did use the hashtag, and it does help get our attention. So from at Drew Goley, what do you see as the best option going forward for college football this year? Hashtag at Ots and Audibles. Well, obviously the best-case scenario is that it operates – the way it would any normal year, and that's what I'm hoping is the case, where we start fall camp sometime in early August. Oregon opens its season, um, you know, in early September for a home game that fans can attend. The Oregon fans get to go and watch Oregon play Ohio State. I mean, this, these are the things that I'm hoping. I'm trying to be optimistic. That's going to be the way it plays out. Um, certainly, there is room and, and and a reason to kind of speculate about other alternatives, Matt. Let's just pretend for a second here that that is not the case and that we are dealing with things maybe hopefully in a little better situation in August. Do you in your head have kind of an idea for what the best path towards getting a season out there is? I mean, I personally, I would love to find a way to at least get fans to some of the games, but um, that might not be a, a possibility. 
I think the best path possible is the safest path possible. And I, 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 I mean, I don't want to say this to freak people out, but I think we're in a, a space right, right now where we don't really know what we, we can't definitively say what, what the, what things are going to be like a month from now. So it's difficult for me to come out and say what, what are things going to be like four months from now, five months from now when, when the season starts? I, I think all options are on the table, whether that's playing with fans or whether not playing with fans or whether not even playing the season or, or playing a shortened season. Maybe games have, maybe non-conference games have to be eliminated because they need the time. And, you know, maybe, maybe we play shortened seasons and maybe there is no bowl game. Maybe there is no real playoff and the schools are just playing. I, I don't know. Um, I think the safe, the, the best path is the safest path and it's not really an answer, but I, I just think there's a lot more people out there that are smarter than me, that are more informed than me of how this is going on with, with COVID. And I, I, I'm just, I'm just struggling to come out here and say, Oh, there's going to be X, Y, and Z that need to happen. And then we're going to get, we're going to get to this. And that's our solution. I just think there's so many moving pieces. We don't know what, what we're going to be like 30 days from now. And it's so difficult to, to project what things are going to be like four months from now. I think that's probably the hardest part to, to get through. A hundred percent. We we don't have a crystal ball as much as we like to say we can predict recruits where they're going to – we can use a crystal ball for that. We don't have it for medical pandemics like this, and there is no easy answer in terms of what the future holds. I think obviously there's going to be a, some, a lot of contingency plans, I'm sure, already in place of, hey, okay, we get to August and things aren't clear. Okay, do we – cancel uh, you know non-conference games something you mentioned which I, I could see happening or to be postpone them to the end of the season somehow um, if you're an Oregon fan obviously with such a great non-conference schedule you'd love to see those games played at some point um, do you run into a spot where you aren't able to have fans in the stadium possibly do you postpone the start of all of it until October or November and then you have a season that you know is finishing up in February I mean and of course there are a ton of repercussions and, and, and impacts that that would have on all other sports as well as Oregon football and all, all football across the country for the 2021 season if the season gets moved around like that because that would be he'd probably have the season ending about when spring practice would be starting so uh, there are certainly a lot of moving parts and a lot of things to kind of consider uh, appreciate the question from Drew there I wish we had better answers but unfortunately uh, I think it's really hard to really know. I, I'm just trying to stay hopeful and optimistic that even if it's a season where fans aren't in the stadium or it's a limited capacity, maybe you have to have, you know, six feet of distance, and that means you're only allowed to have a, a quarter of the stadium full. I don't know, but if you can find ways to make this work. I would be, I think it would be a huge for the country right now. But I think you need something positive, and a football season would certainly be a way to to keep people's minds off what is a, a really kind of a bizarre and strange and surreal time to live through. So. Um, let's just all hope that things get better quickly, but uh, I'm sure there are a lot of contingency plans already in place. And I think the word out there right now is that they're looking at kind of the end of May or, or sometime in May to, to hopefully find some conclusions about what they want to do. So, yeah, we'll know. I, I mean, the, 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 there was a John Wilner article that was out that's Larry Scott, the PAC 12 commissioner is saying in the next you know two months, they'll have to make a decision on what they're doing. And, I, I think that goes back to my point of in two months, how much has the world changed and how much has, 
how have we tackled COVID and do we have it under control where they feel like the models are projecting, you know, people can come back and, and group up again. And, uh, and if that's the other direction where it's, we don't know, well, there's eventually going to come a, a deadline where sports are going to have to come out and say, look, we can do X, Y, and Z, but we need to know by this date. And if we get past this date, now we have to start taking X away and then we have to take Z away. And then next thing you know, we have to take Y away. And I realized it didn't do that in the, in the proper order, but yeah. everything, you know, eventually there's going to be a hard date where, where the NCAA, the NFL, the NBA, MLB, whoever, they're going to come out and say, look, we're going to just have to scrap the season because we want to try and do this and we want to get another, we want to get the season in. But if we want normalcy and we want to stay on schedule long term without altering the entire sports season, we just have to scrap the year. Well, let's hope it doesn't get to that place, but you're right. There, that's a realistic and it's certainly a possibility. So uh, let's move on to the second question from at Smith Garrett 91. Since the NCAA is granting spring sport athletes another year of eligibility, who are some past Oregon athletes you wished had one extra year as well? I uh, love this question. Yeah, well, if you have, you have, was there one that jumps right off your head? Like, what, what do you I have four. Okay. And a lot of them all played right around the same time, or three of them did at, at least. I have one for football, I have one for men's basketball, and I have one, or I have three for, for football. Do you, do you want, want me to run through them? Uh, well, I, I was gonna. Yeah, why don't you run a one? You run through a couple of years. I'll run through a couple of mine, and we'll. Okay, so the first one I have is Alex Balducci, because if you remember his freshman season, he didn't play until game nine of that year because Oregon, I believe, was in the hunt to get to. If I remember right. That's the 2012 season. So they were, they were in the hunt to get to the Fiesta Bowl. They were, or yeah, the Fiesta Bowl. They're playing for a Pac-12 championship game. They're playing for a conference championship and all of that. And defensive line just got ravaged with injuries. And Alex Balducci had to play, had to burn his redshirt. And at the time, the current redshirt rule of playing four games and, and preserving your redshirt was not in place. And so, they were at a point where if we don't play Alex Balducci and waste his freshman season for five games, we potentially will not win the conference. And they had to do it. And Alex Balducci was amazing about it and totally understood and was okay with it and played. I, I think if Balducci was part of that 2015 defense at Oregon as a – Red shirt, or 2016 defense, excuse me. He, he would have been part of that 2016 team as a red shirt senior. Oregon's defense would have been drastically different. Troy Dye would have had a guy up in the middle that could have really helped contain things. The defense would have had another key piece along the defensive line. And look, when you've got dudes up, up front, you're going to be good. Another guy I have is Drew Davis. If you remember right, in 2007, this was a guy that was also supposed to be redshirting and then injuries at the, the wide receiver spot decimated the, the group and he had to come in and, and he had to play, I think, the last five games of the regular season. And imagine if 
if Oregon plays in the 2010 uh, national championship game against Auburn and then they bring back Drew Davis in 2011, I mean, that's, that's huge for them. He, he, I think he was as a senior, he started to really turn things around. His senior year is what got him drafted and on, on, onto an NFL roster. And if he had one more year of football, I think his stock would have, would have, would have been even higher. Uh, my number two was kind of a combination. Like, I just want one of Casey Benson, Tyler Dorsey, Jordan Bell to have returned after the 2017 Final Four to come back for 2017-2018 and play with Peyton Pritchard, Paul White, Kenny Wooten, and Troy Brown. I think if you pick any one of those three guys, Benson, Dorsey, or Bell, and put them into that lineup with Pritchard, White, Wooten, and Brown, you've got an NCAA tournament team, probably a team that could get beyond the first and second round of the NCAA tournament as well. Um, and then my last one is Dennis Dixon because he also played just a couple of meaningless snaps as a true freshman. And then uh, the, the following year redshirted, and then his senior season was cut short, obviously, because of the injury. He was going to win the Heisman. Oregon was the number one team in the country at the time when he got hurt. Uh, it, I, I truly think if he never got hurt, Oregon was going to win the national championship that year. Dixon was going to win the Heisman, and I think the entire program would, would be looked at entirely different. Somehow we both had Drew Davis, which I thought was my <laughs> sneaky pick you weren't even going to sniff out, um, which I'm still surprised that you had that one because I had the, same, <laughs> well, the exact same thinking. And part of it was that he was actually a, a friend of one of my buddies from college. And I heard the whole story, so that always stuck in my head about how he wishes he had another year. So, uh, good well, one tell there. the story. Well, I'm not gonna like just just that he he felt like he would have his career similar to what you said. Just basically, that he felt like his career. We talked about this playing like NCAA 14, like way back when, or whatever NCAA it was. I remember playing at my buddy's apartment, and we he was hanging out and he hung out with my buddy quite a bit, and we were talking about it. And he always felt like if he'd had, and it was shortly after he finished up his time at Oregon, about how he wished he, wished he would have had another year, and I think he deserved to have another year. So. He's certainly someone that makes a lot of sense on this list, and he's actually just the first thing I thought of because of that kind of personal experience. Um, another football one I thought of was Kyle Long. Um, you know, he, he petitioned for another year after playing his one season at Oregon. Obviously, it was a really valuable season because he played one year and was a first-round draft pick, went on to have a nice NFL career. I think another year of him at Oregon would have maybe solidified his legacy. I think you kind of have to – sometimes you overlook it because he was only a one-and-done on the football side of things, which you don't see very often, but I think more Kyle Long at Oregon – would have been a player. And then a couple of basketball players here that I thought of as well. Um, one, Arsalan Kazemi. Yeah. Similar to Kyle Long, Oregon fans wanted to watch him play at least one season. One season was way too short. And uh, the, the player that he was was one of the more endearing basketball players I can think of. Just the most selfless player. Uh, almost passed up too many easy shots over his time at Oregon. A great rebounder, a great hustler, a great team player, fantastic defensive player. A total glue guy. A guy I actually, I know he was drafted at the very end of whatever year's draft that was. I think by the 76ers and they never brought his rights over. But a guy that I would have thought, man, like if you put him in the right scenario, he could have had a long career as just like a defensive rebounder. If he could develop a jump shot to the three-point line, maybe he could, you know, be even more effective. But he was a guy I always loved watching at Oregon and, and wish there was more time with. And this, this last one here is more of like a, if you could have just given him another ligament in his knee, but Chris Boucher that one season, um, and maybe not another year of eligibility, but another couple of months of eligibility or availability, I should say, um, 
comes to mind of man if if he was healthy that year and Oregon obviously comes a rebound or two away and a made basket or two away from beating Carolina and playing in a national championship game um I I think everybody and I'm gonna have your biggest what ifs of the the 20s you know since 2000 up on the site in a couple days here that will certainly be prominently on the list because um I think that Oregon basketball season took a, a little bit of a turn there when he went out and obviously uh, a player, Oregon fans. I think another guy that really endeared himself is, is just a, a player that played the right way, played hard, and and, and was a good worker. So um, I, that was a fun question. It was fun thinking about some of these guys. I also thought of Dennis Dixon. I thought of Darren Thomas, although he didn't end up using that year, even though he remember he had that weird thing where he entered against Boise State and ended up using right. one of his years. He ended up going pro because of Mariota's arrival, so that felt like a weird pick. But that was another one that kind of popped in my head when I was was thinking through some of these guys. What about? Um... Her name is escaping me for a moment here. McGuire from Oregon. Women's basketball. Women's basketball. What if she never transferred? Yeah, no, I thought about. I mean, that's that's a good one too. In terms of like, yeah, if she would have stuck around. How would that have changed their front court? You think about the last couple of seasons. I mean, the season directly after a transfer, when Hebert goes down, they were really thin in the front court, you know, and they were basically thin the whole season. If she would have stuck around, you think that year might have gone a little differently. Maybe Hebert doesn't get hurt because she's not having to play as many minutes. Oh, that's another one that's good. And and that was a, one of those chances when it happened, it felt kind of weird. I mean, she was – Mallory McGuire was um, the the type of player Oregon needed to face off against Baylor. I mean, she was six foot five, and really big and strong and, and was mobile and, and could guard against bigger post players. And, yeah, I mean, what if what if she had – what if she had stayed? Yeah, no, this is a good topic. Maybe we'll have to do some more of those those kind of what ifs and, and eligibility questions. But that was a good one there, I thought. Uh, and so let's move to the third question from at PDX Trex. When will Mario hire a new wide receivers coach? Are interviews occurring via Zoom, or is this whole process put on hold? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. I think we discussed this a little bit in the past, but anything new on the wide receiver coaching search, Matt? Nothing new. I mean, interviews are still going on. It's extremely slow process because of COVID. Um, remotely, they're trying to be done, but there's only so much you can do remotely. And, you know, Cristobal has a very, 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 very thorough process of making interviews and making coaching hires. And some of that process is being in a room with entire staff and going over scenarios, going over situations, you know, picking brains and discussing it. And that's hard to do when we have to do this social distancing. So, you know, I, I, eventually something will get hired. It would have shocked me if COVID didn't happen and we today don't have a receivers coach. That would have been a bigger shock than I am right now of there is no hire and I'm not that shocked. All right, our last question actually comes in place of a, a question to you on social media. Use the hashtag, so we're going to use this one. But you comment, quote commented on Eli Mandel as a new recruiting addition uh, for Oregon's recruiting football staff. You commented on it, and at K underscore J 22 comments, another, another coach with a UW past. I like that MC isn't bashful about taking folks off that staff for our gain. Any thoughts on the hire? Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, Matt, what can you tell us about Eli Mandel? He, Eli worked at UW for the last couple of seasons for the Huskies in their recruiting department. 
watching film, evaluating prospects, helping host prospects on campus, was not a football coach per se, but was involved in the day-to-day operations at Washington for uh, that program's recruiting. And you go and you look at just look, the way I look at this is you have one extra set of eyes now watching film. You have one more guy evaluating, developing relationships, putting, helping put programs, uh, organs, you know, marketing materials out, being another avenue to talk to recruits, being another guy to stay in, in touch with guys and, and do background checks and, and make phone calls to high school coaches and talk about prospects and working his own contact role, contact Rolodex of, of going through players. And the more of those types of guys that you have, the better you are going to be uh, as a football program as a whole, because those, these guys like Eli are helping Oregon's assistant coaches focus on what they need to get done today, what they need to get done this week, what they need to get done this month. And the off-the-field guys, the behind-the-scenes guys like Eli, are the ones doing a lot of heavy lifting that no one really sees to get the staff in preparation for tomorrow, for next week, for next month. And he's been a part of a program at Washington the last couple of seasons that they've done – They've done stuff right too. I mean, Oregon, Oregon is probably the king of, of recruiting right now in the Pac-12 the last couple of seasons, last two in particular. But go to Washington and look at what they've done the last three years, and it's very, very close to equal to what Oregon has done. And so you're adding a, a, a guy that's been involved in a different process completely. Washington recruited in an entirely different manner in which Oregon did. And had different, had the same level of success or, or very close or similar success that Oregon had doing it a different way and can now bring those ideas that worked really well and implement them and help develop them even more and enhance them at Oregon. I just like the fact that, like you said, obviously Washington and Oregon have approached recruiting a little differently. They've, you know, targeted different types of players, different types of personalities, done so in a different way. But the fact that Cristobal isn't so set in his way of, hey, we're doing it this way, this is the better way. No, he's, he sits here and goes, hey, I see something that's impressive with what Washington is doing. Let's see if we can find a way to incorporate that and improve ourselves. And I think that's the mark of, uh, of obviously a good coach, but of also just being willing to kind of evolve and, and kind of take steps to change if you need to. And even, even when it ain't broke, you know, when Oregon's recruiting methods, whatever they've been, been very successful doing it that way, but Cristobal clearly has an eye of, hey, let's see if we can find some other ways to get going on this because he understands how competitive recruiting is and, and how much, frankly, it just it does change. I mean, the fact that we we're even on a podcast here talking about <laughs> these recruiting staff additions right now speaks to that place because I don't think you know if we were doing this in 2010, certainly we wouldn't be probably doing a podcast at all, but we wouldn't be doing a podcast and talking about recruiting staff because that would be so far down kind of people's interest level. And, and probably there just wouldn't be that many jobs open that it would be that newsworthy to begin with. Yeah, that that's hundred percent true. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it's the program continues to evolve and continues to get better. And these are ways that you can do that. And it's not a sexy hire. It's not one that's, that everyone's going to know instantly who this guy is. It's not one that a lot of people are going to see do his job on a day-to-day basis. But when Oregon signs a top 10 class in 2020, 
excuse me, 2021, and trust me, I think they will. I believe that they will. This is another one of those guys that's going to have a key piece that no one's going to know about that leads Oregon to doing that. All right. That's going to do it for us on the Ots and Audibles podcast, mailbag edition with some breaking news edition, all rolled into one. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully you guys found this informative. Continue to, to like and subscribe our podcast. You can find them on iTunes. You can find them on Google, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Any way you, you listen to podcasts, we're on there. Find us, like us, subscribe to us, share this podcast as well. Uh, we'll talk to you on Friday with another show for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prem. You've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos.